Welcome to Mind the Resilience. I am Ramki your host and today we have an exceptional guest with us Andrew Lawton the founder of Rescue. Andrew's company specializes in providing always on power and communications for remote workers and we are here to uncover the story behind it all. What inspired him to create Rescue and how did it evolve from a work area recovery company in the heart of London's financial district to a solution for staff homes and small sites? We'll also tap into Andrew's expertise as a startup CEO, learning about his strategies for achieving aggressive revenue growth while maintaining high morale among his team. And of course, we'll explore the invaluable lessons he has gathered throughout his entrepreneurial journey that can inspire and guide aspiring business leaders. Stay tuned for insights into fundraising, handling mergers and acquisitions, and lightning round of resilience quickfire. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mind the Resilience podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest today. Um, Andrew is with us. He is the CEO of Rescue. Andrew, how are you doing today? Yeah, very good, Ranki. Great to uh, speak to you. Thank you so much. Um, it's going to be a very different uh, podcast, at least for me personally, Andrew, because I've never uh, had a chance to uh, have a discussion with a CEO who is actually having a physical product that he's selling mm-hmm. to the customers. So I'm going to I'm going to have great conversations with you. I'm sure my audience are going to have uh, uh, great inputs as well. Before we start our conversations, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, what exactly is your background? I know my podcast is resilience, but you know uh, I want to in- ask you from your perspective, what is resilience and how, what is your journey on resilience and how did you come to this stage and Always anything interesting uh, about you apart from your professional work? Mm. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for, for, for the discussion. It, it is an interesting and different tack, uh, talking about products. Um, when you hear my story and the story of Rescue, you'll sort of understand why we came to actually have a physical product. Um, I've been in the industry for 30 years. You can tell from the, uh, the gray hairs. <laughs> um, I actually started... Um, uh, as a consultant with um, uh, with a company called Guardian, and uh, okay. we, we were we were selling LDRPS. I don't know if you uh, yes. know that software stroll systems. Um, this was back in the the early sort of mid nineties, mm. uh, really when business continuity planning software was just being established. And in fact, the idea of business continuity mm-hmm. as opposed to disaster recovery was really just being established. Okay, because prior to that, it was very much focused on IT systems and just Correct. recovery. And uh, so I went through uh, the transformation, uh, you know, the UK disaster recovery and business continuity um, Mm. markets, along with a load of other companies. So um, I was with uh, Guardian for a few years and went to a company called SafetyNet Mm -hmm. and um, helped them start their Unix disaster recovery business Mm. um, and then ended up back in Guardian that was taken over by SunGuard. Uh, sorry, it was taken over by Comdisco, that was taken over by SunGuard and then became SunGuard in the UK. So a long uh, yeah. sort of process of consolidation uh, went mm. through sort of around, around sort of 2000 to 2003. Mm. And um, uh, following that time, I'll cut it very short because it's a very long period of time, um, I ended up running HP's business continuity business okay. in the UK uh, for a while and then 
had a sabbatical from uh, resilience for about 10 years with uh, okay. cyber security and ran uh, IBM's uh, security and privacy practice mm. across UK, Ireland, South Africa for, for, for a couple of years and, and then started running EMEA businesses for West Coast um, mm. uh, cybersecurity companies. Mm. Um, in, a, in about uh, 2015, 2016, I, I, I looked at the market in London, mm. uh, resilience market, and realized that actually in all that time that I'd been away from that market, very little had changed. Okay. And um, so I uh, then set up a company called Fortress Availability Services, hmm. which um, provides, or still does provide, work area recovery for right. banks and law, law firms, etc., in the city of London. Hmm. And um, uh, the differentiation, really, hmm. from uh, the others in the market at that time was that it was a new, fresh, nice office, uh, mm-hmm. a nice place to be, <laughs> A lot of the recovery centres at the time were a bit tired and dark and dingy. You know, uh, the coffee was rubbish and uh, yeah. you know, the horrible place to be. And trying to get staff, you know, mm. particularly traders and you know senior execs, Correct. to the recovery centre was really hard work. Mm. So we built a recovery centre, uh, which is still operational. Um, mm. Very pleasant place to be, mm. uh, alongside uh, one of the docks. Um, very light and airy, mm. and actually, it's been used quite a number of times, particularly through the pandemic, obviously. Mm. And uh, staff often don't want to leave at the end of uh, their stint with the work mm. recovery. Yeah, it, it was actually the pandemic that, yes. of course, changed everything. I can um, imagine. Yeah, you know, it changed everything for work area recovery, particularly because mm. uh, obviously we all went home, and we yeah. all uh, we all proved quite clearly that. We can work at home. We can work effectively Correct. at home, yeah. and of course, you know the uh, the effectiveness and the creativity is still being debate, debated. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, uh, most customers came to the conclusion that actually they didn't need work area recovery anymore. Mm. They were going to send all their staff home. Mm. Uh, now that is that excludes traders. So the mm. banks, uh, those doing trading, um, are still uh, requiring dedicated trading floor. And we have yes. we're slowly expanding our dedicated trading floor as more customers mm. come on. Um, and we have dedicated trading floor in, in mm. a place called Cross Harbour in London and also mm. uh, in Marsh Wall, uh, Southgate in London, mm. just like Canary Wharf. And, uh, but the change when everyone went home Mm-hmm. had a massive impact impact on the market. As I say, most customers, certainly that had syndicated or shared work area recovery, came to the conclusion, actually, we don't need work area recovery anymore. We're going to send our staff home. Mm. And you know that basically meant that an entire market of ours completely evaporated overnight. I can imagine. And wow. So, yeah. Yes, we had to think pretty quickly yeah. about you know what we were going to do to continue to deliver value mm. and continue to be relevant in this new world mm. of work. Mm-hmm. And it, became, it was clear to me that you know, every time we talked about work area recovery and recovery centers, we always were asked about the resilience of the recovery center. Mm. Because, of course, people don't want to have a disaster in one place, bring all their critical people across to a recovery center and then have another disaster. Exactly. Yeah. So recovery centers are resilient. They have... Mm dual-feed power, dual-feed comms, they have generators, mm. and so they'll be up and running, whatever. Correct. Now, of course, those people that were in the recovery center are now doing the critical work they were doing. Now they're doing mm. it at home. 
Mm. And that's actually where the complication comes in, because if you're in a regulated industry or you have critical staff that are maybe customer facing or making key decisions for your business, if they're working at home, they still need that level of resilience. Mm. Um, now, there are going to be people that are quite happy with fallback. So mm. their, business, their work, you know, if it stops for an hour or two, it's no big deal. Um, they'll just go to a recovery center or they'll go to a coffee shop or they'll yes. go back to the office. That doesn't always work for a number of reasons. One, because the office might not might be affected by the same disaster. Or yes. The office might be having a disaster in itself. Mm. But there are a group of people and it's probably about 5% we're finding, 5% of staff that are still very time critical, hmm. even when they're working at home. So if they're offline for hmm. five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, if they're a trader, for example, yeah, exactly. they're senior execs, or they're running webinars. Uh, you know, yeah. There's a lot of work now uh, that, uh, need, that people need to be online. Yes. Yeah? So, yes. You know, telehealth being another, uh, another example. And that's where the complication comes in because mm. building resilience into people's homes mm. is difficult. Um, you can have you know, UPSs and 4G routers and a load of cables. Yeah. But if you're an enterprise with hundreds or maybe even thousands can of imagine. staff, yeah. um, what do you do? How do you implement a standardized mm. uh, um, offering of, of, of resilience mm. That your IT team or central infrastructure team can manage remotely, mm. and it's very simple to deploy, simple to send mm. out, yeah, uh, simple for non-technical staff Correct. to implement. Um, you know, there, there wasn't uh, a solution that fit those bills, so we actually mm. came up with Rescue on the basis mm. of that, and it fits all of those those tick boxes. Yeah, and uh, so that's really where we sort of ended up, and that's you know the, yeah. the, the long story, I guess, of uh, <laughs> how we came to rescue. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to I want to ask you about like the rescue as well. I think uh, you you club both the introduction of yourself as well as the rescue. So thank you for that, uh, uh, Andrew. But um, in, in all this, I I also wanted to ask anything interesting about you apart from your professional work. You wanted to share that to my audience. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I live uh, live down in Kent, uh, just in the southeast of London. Yeah. Uh, with my family, my wife, and, and two children. My son's doing his eleven plus today, which is an exam uh, that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that gets gets him into a, into a, a, what we call a grammar school. Mm. Um, so a big day for us. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're you know enjoying uh, being out and about um, in the countryside of uh, of the UK. Very nice, very nice, very nice. Thank you, um, Andrew. So we touched upon um, the rescue and what is its story is all about. But I wanted to ask you a bit more into that as well. Like in your experience, why is it crucial for businesses, especially the enterprise customers, to invest uh, in a resilient solutions like rescue and and how how it will impact uh, the overall operations and uh, productivity? Would you like to give some thoughts on that? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I, I think it's worth looking at Rescue as part of a solution. It's not, okay. you know, I mean, there are going to be businesses where it's the only solution needed. But, mm. you know, if you think about what most large, particularly regulated organizations had put in place 
before mm. the pandemic, it was mm. work area recovery. And, mm. and there are some great benefits of work area recovery. It's testable. Mm. It's repeatable. Mm. You know exactly what you're going to get, you know, when mm. you invoke. Mm. Um, uh, but there are, of course, you know, scenarios where that doesn't work. And, and you know, uh, as I mentioned, there are going to be uh, members of the organization mm. that need to work at home or they want yep. to work at home. And of course, you know, as we now know, you know, a lot of staff actually feel that it's it's part of their package, if you like, uh, yeah. to be able to work at home. And of course, you want to attract uh, high value individuals, capable mm. individuals, and offer them that flexibility. Mm. But also need to meet uh, regulation, for example, or you also need to simply have a resilient business so that mm. if there is a um, a power outage or an internet outage, your staff member can continue working and delivering that high value even throughout that. Mm. The importance of Rescue is that it's fully automated mm. and remotely managed. So that individual high value mm. might not be very technical. In fact, most of these high value people aren't very technical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you don't really want them mm. you know, pressing buttons or trying to configure Correct. stuff just because the, you know, the lights have gone out. Yeah. You want that all to be to happen mm. automatically. Correct. And you also then want your IT team to be able mm. to remotely manage and remotely configure so that these high-value individuals can just focus on the job that they're mm. doing, not mm. faffing around with technology. Correct. So that's, that's, that's the value, really, is that it means that high-value individuals or, or important people mm. to the organization mm. um, can continue work completely uninterrupted and not have to get stressed or concerned about, yeah, you know, for example, in, in South Africa at the moment, of course, yeah. load shedding. Um, it's a massive impact to mm. people's working lives. And having a rescue basically means that mm. you can work a full day yeah. and completely ignore any load shedding. You don't right. even have to be involved in, you know, uh, reconfiguring things or plugging things in. It just happens all in the background. Right. You're just working as you would do if you had power all day. Yeah. So we, uh, I asked, uh, I missed asking this question to you, Andrew. Like to my audience, what is Rescue? Is it a physical? It's a physical product being shipped to an end customer at home, um, or maybe in an office as well. Maybe it can be anywhere in the world, and then he or she configures that product in his uh, house to ensure that the uh, power is being fed to uh, the end customers even though there is a load shedding or there is a power cut is that the right statement to do it yeah absolutely so it is a physical product it's about uh, if you can imagine sort of half the size of your carry-on luggage on an airplane okay um you you basically um put it uh, under your desk and yeah. you plug it in and like a UPS? Very similar, yeah. So it is, in effect, a UPS. And okay. importantly, again, for South Africa, it's surge protection as well. Right. Um, but the big difference between it and a normal UPS is the mm -hmm. battery size. So okay. although it's a very small and compact device, it has a huge amount of storage in there. So mm. you can actually run a laptop and, mm. and provide the internet for about mm. 20 hours. Okay. Um, so, you know, UPS will run for about 20 minutes or, or, or yeah. half an hour. Yeah. So it's a device that you put under your desk, you plug your critical devices into it, your laptop screens, lamps, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, and then you, as I say, it works like a UPS. Okay. The internet works in a very yes. similar way. 
Yeah, so that's my next question. Like, you know, it's not only about the power. I need an internet connection as well. So, if I lose my connection, internet connection, will Rescue is going to provide me the net internet services as well? That's right. It does. Okay. So, what it basically does is is it connects to your home Wi-Fi. Now, it can, okay. It can do that by you know cable. Uh, yeah. Or it can do that by Wi-Fi. It then represents uh, your home Wi-Fi and your home broadband. Uh, as rescue Wi-Fi, and you connect your critical devices, your laptop, as I say, or your phone or whatever, to the rescue Wi-Fi. And that rescue mm. Wi-Fi is resilient. So if your home broadband goes down, okay. um, because either the broadband goes down or the power goes out, which mm-hmm. puts your broadband down, it'll then flip across to a 4G network or a 3G network, whichever is available, um, and provide internet access that way. Right. And it happens you know, almost instantaneously. If we're on this, you know, Zoom Teams type call, um, it will flip across and you won't even notice. Uh, right. In fact, there's a demo on our website. Yes. Uh, which, which shows that. Yeah. Mm, okay. Now I understand the value. So it's a complete solution of providing power as well as the internet connectivity as well if everything goes off in my home, right? So basically, I'm provided with the power. I can continue with my work. I have my internet connection. Nobody at the other end doesn't know that something has happened at my home, right? So yeah. you can still continue yeah. to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, now, now, I, now I understand the complete picture about it. So, um, Andrew, I want to also ask you about um, some of the informations that you have posted in your LinkedIn profile about the Rescue. Um, Rescue started as a work area recovery company uh, in the banks in the city of London. So how did the transition happen and what challenges did you encounter when adapting uh, resilient solutions to staff at home and small sites. Like um, you told that you transitioned from being an IT, um, you know, working in a in a major MNC to uh, you know also servicing the work area company and then to rescue. So can you tell us a bit about a transition, how it happened, and what mm-hmm. are the challenges that you have encountered around it? Sure, it was, uh, and you know, as you said, you don't normally talk to product uh, yes. manufacturers. Mm-hmm. We were a service company. We were services you know, delivering work area recovery services to to the, the city, mm. and moving to manufacturing has been a real eye opener. It's it's complicated. You know, it's mm. much much more complicated than software. Yeah. It's much much more complicated than services for for sure. Okay. Um, of course, uh, there are thousands of components that go to former rescue. And we have had a, a great electronics design team. We've got mm. a great uh, enclosure and, and product design team mm. um, that have put the rescue together. So if you look at rescue, you'll see that it's designed to be in a house, mm. uh, in a home, yeah. uh, as opposed to some of the other devices are all clunky. You sort of rack them up and or they're, uh, you know, they're yeah. all big uh, black plastic devices. Rescue is actually a really nice aluminium device. It looks sleek and cool and, and it's something that you're not going to object to in mm. your home mm. and so we we went through that design process mm-hmm. and we did some testing about uh, about this time last year actually mm-hmm. and we had some really excellent feedback from customers they absolutely loved the idea of rescue but, but they wanted the battery life to be longer mm. And there were a number of reasons behind that. One, because we had a lot of people interested from South Africa, of course, okay. uh, where the power was going up and down and up and down. And, you know, lead acid, for example, batteries don't provide sufficient power to keep them going for long okay. enough. And also lead acid batteries 
that would take a long time to mm. uh, to charge. And so, anyway, long story short, mm-hmm. we have redeveloped Rescue over the past year to use lithium-ion phosphate batteries, which mm. have six times as much uh, storage as, as we had this time last year. Mm. Um, and, of course, it can be charged within two hours. So, mm. you know, that, that South African use case mm. where you've got load shedding coming, you know, where you end up with no power for a long period of time, you might have power just for two or three hours, maybe four hours. You mm. want the unit to charge in that time. Mm. The other thing that we've added actually is solar charging. Mm. So yeah. rather than yeah, yeah, so rather than charging from you know, a solar panel going through a uh, an inverter and various other pieces, you can actually literally plug a solar panel into the back of Rescue, and it will it will ah. charge. Okay, so you don't need anything else. You just a solar panel, plug it into Rescue, and it will charge. And in fact, um, you know, a high powered solar yes will charge Rescue in, in a couple of hours. So okay, the idea there, of course, is that you might be fully off-grid, or you might be in a situation where you don't have any power for a long period of time, days maybe. Um, And in fact, we're talking to some of the organizations uh, in Africa Hmm. about uh, supporting polling stations Hmm. um, in the elections. Yes. You know, so you've got power, you know, you've just got a solar panel, you've got a rescue, that provides you with power, obviously for PCs, for managing the polling station, but also provides you with the internet as well. Mm. So there are, what we what we've started off with was something with a very very close small mm. niche market, you know, traders and execs in the Correct. city. Yeah. Um, but actually, what we found is the number of use cases is absolutely enormous. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, if you think about things like outdoor living, mm. uh, uh, people in the states with RVs or RVs, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Going to going to the beach. Um, yeah you know, your country home, etc. Yeah. There are so many different uses where you might want one unit that mm. has both power and internet in one mm. pot. Yeah. And so, you know, these use cases are, are huge. And and that's actually, you know, one of the challenges for us is to keep ourselves quite focused in the short term mm. um, to ensure that, you know, we're, we're delivering goods, product and good service to our key customers. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I stay in India, uh, Andrew. So uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, power, uh, you know, load shedding as well. And uh, you told me about uh, a use case of being used during the polling uh, booths, right? I can see yeah. your product can be used in multiple ways. Like for example, healthcare in our mm. remote villages where yeah. it's not that great, right? So and even uh, in our schools uh, and uh, colleges where it's very remote and we don't have a proper uh, electricity connections um, during the, their examination times we need power to be driven and and keeping a big generator in the premises and running it with diesel or something else will be very difficult i think that's where i think it can be a great use case uh, you know in in a developing uh, world as well like you know people uh, countries like india where the growth is enormous now and there's a lot of uh, value that we can bring and you know Actually changed. You're, you're absolutely right, and in fact, uh, that's you know, one of the use cases we're talking about. Is, yeah. uh, you know, India is a great example where actually the access to 4G networks is Correct. much greater than the access to power. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, you're right. And so you do have these schools, and you have uh, healthcare centres, and yes. police stations, or just you know, uh, correct municipal bodies, correct that are out in areas where power is intermittent. 
and it's very difficult to Correct. run standard systems with, you know, for example, healthcare records mm. um, or access through for schools yes. to mm. you know, new educational material. Mm. That can be provided by literally a rescue with a solar panel. Correct. You then yeah. have access to the internet. You've got power that runs yeah. through the day. You mentioned, of course, that... And we have uh, abandoned power uh, in, in the country. I mean, abandoned yeah. sunlight in the country. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the fact that diesel generators are, you know, firstly, they're smelly. They yes. suck out smoke. Correct. They're difficult to start, you know, so, and and they're very, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're cumbersome to keep Correct. fuel. Mm. And so if you've got you know, teachers or you've got doctors, the last thing you want them doing is is having to fuel and start mm. generators when the power's out. So yeah. that's where the simplicity of, of rescue really comes in. Mm. I think the challenge uh, the challenge within India and and, uh, and also sub-Saharan Africa, which actually is a quite a similar uh, sort of situation, mm. is, of course, the cost. Uh, now, at the, at the moment, the unit costs are relatively high because... Yeah. Um, you know, the numbers are uh, uh, relatively low. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about thousands of units, mm-hmm. but we're designing for next year mm-hmm. um, units that are more designed really for mm-hmm. um, that particular market. So they Correct. are very high volume manufacture. Exactly. Um, and there'll be much lower cost. Correct. Um, now, that's not to say that the current unit wouldn't work ideally in that situation. It's just mm-hmm. we have to work through the commercials. Now, we do work with a number of partners that allow, uh, for example, schools or healthcare mm-hmm. uh, or governments, in fact, or in fact, enterprises to pay over a period of time. So, right. in fact, we often uh, deliver rescue as a service. Mm-hmm. So rather than it being delivered as a product, it's a monthly monthly subscription yeah. uh, over a three-year period, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That all makes sense. Fascinating. Okay. Um, I want to pivot now from a rescue uh, to be, uh, you know, to for, for you to understand or for me to understand your entrepreneurial CEO uh, for, for, a, for a company. So as a startup CEO, uh, Andrew, with the established track record track record of delivering aggressive revenue growth right while maintaining high quality and high morale what strategies have you employed to strike a balance between you know uh, high growth but having a good quality high compliant and high highly uh, you know available uh, unit for us and to our, to our to our people as well so can you elaborate more on that um sure um you, you know it's it's a uh... It's an interesting question because you know I've run a couple of businesses over the past yes. couple, sort of decade uh, that uh, are different, but mm. the intrinsic mm. you know, needs and the strategies are actually relatively similar. Mm. I think the important thing is being customer centric as a business. Mm-hmm. You've got to understand who you're serving and ensure that you're delivering value and high quality of service, and ensuring then that your all of your employees and all your team. Uh, are also focused on that level of customer-centric mm. behavior and, and you know, mindset. Mm. Um, and when you've got that good team, you just need to let them get on with it. You need to empower the employees to go and make decisions and deliver that value without getting right. in the way and necessarily having to always be in the you know, point of decision. Um, I think, uh, again, you know, even within the business, but also even outside of the business, having your goals and your strategy and your vision mm. being quite clear because your team, of course, need to know where they're going. Correct. Uh, and if they've got a clear vision of 
what's important to the business, where we're going as a, as a business, that's, that's critical. Uh, mm. But it's also good for the customers to understand that as well because mm. they can see whether we're aligned with what they're mm. doing uh, or, or not. And, and uh, you know, if we're not, then it's great that they understand that we're not because we want to hear about it and, and we can align things. Um, uh, more you know, realign things to, to 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 make sure that we're in tune. Mm. So, I just want to ask you, uh, what is your valuable, most valuable lessons that you have learned from being a founder or or starting a startup? Would you like to give some thoughts on that? If there is any budding entrepreneur who wants to be uh, emulating like you, uh, what advice would you give to that budding entrepreneur and how he or she can get started in this industry? Yeah, I think, well, there's, there are a number of different things. Uh, one on the side of you know, just basically who you are and, mm. and you know, where you come from. I think you've got to understand you know, uh, why you're doing it. Mm. You know, there's mm. plenty of good jobs out there. Yeah. You can go and you know, <laughs> uh, just go and get a job if you, if you want. But why yes. are you starting a business? Mm. Because if you don't really understand why you're doing it, um, mm. you, I think before you start a business, you don't mm. realize quite how tough it can be um, is money the motivation andrew no not really no, it, no. well you know obviously we're, we're a business and, and we want to make money but yeah. that's not really the the reason why mm-hmm. um i i've always wanted to run a, a, a business and mm-hmm. i've always uh, had the level of innovation if you like in in my mind in the way that i do things mm-hmm. and i've always felt that you know, in, in delivering that innovation to customers, we would, we could create a successful business. Correct. And it's that belief that um, we can create a successful business. Mm. But I, I suppose, you know, in reality, I want to create a legacy, you know, for, uh, for my team, mm. uh, for my investors, for my family. Uh, I want to do something, you know, successful and create something. And that's certainly mm. what we've done. Yeah. Um, uh, we, you know, we've got plenty of steps to go through yet, but you mm. know, it's understanding why you're doing it is, is ultimately mm. the foundation. Mm. I mean, there are lots of things on the other side of, mm. of the business which are much more, I guess, mundane. Yeah, uh, like cash is king. Absolutely, you've got to understand your cash flow. You've got mm. to understand where you're going. Mm. You'd be very, very careful about things. I think you need need also to be agile as a business mm. and i think we've demonstrated that you know yeah. you're moving <laughs> yes. to the rescue you've got to be agile and, and mm. maybe not quite as dramatic as as rescue as a fortress to rescue but nevertheless you've got to adapt very quickly and and obviously you know the market what with uh, brexit and the pandemic and uh, you know all the other things that have been thrown at us over the past uh, few years mm. um you've got to keep moving and you've got to keep agile yeah i can imagine wow like how much of a struggle it have been at least um how much pivot you have to do uh, andrew like like uh, pre pandemic and post pandemic itself is a big 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 change and mm. you touched upon brexit you touched upon lot of other things i mean it would have been a traumatic and um if you are not um you know aligned or visionary on on whatever you are trying to do uh it's it's not an easy game for everyone to begin with right so mm. you should have that passion with you to 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 continue working on whatever you're working yeah absolutely you need to believe and yeah. uh you know i'll be quite frank with you it's tough 
You know, it's <laughs> tough, tough, tough sometimes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're going in one direction and then, yeah. you know, uh, something like Brexit comes along. And, and Brexit for us, aside from, you know, all of the regulation and, and some of the mm. other problems, the real problem for us was mm. we'd st- created this business and we're starting to talk to the market and mm. all the managers in risk and business continuity were suddenly mm. going, oh my God, we need to talk about yeah. Brexit instead, <laughs> of work area, instead of work area recovery, which is what we Correct. wanted to talk about. Correct. So that was one of the issues. But yeah, it, it is tough. And I think that that's my final point. Mm. It's extremely tough if you don't have strong a strong team and partners mm. around you. So mm. having a good team is, is, mm. is crucial. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, uh, my wife is, is part of the business as well. Okay. And, you know, has been a huge help in, in helping me yeah. you know, drive forward as well. Yeah. We've got excellent investment partners and our chairman mm. uh, has got a wealth of knowledge as well. So Support. having those people around us mm. uh, really helps us, Mm. Uh, in those times where we need that personal level of resilience correct uh, rather than just the business type of resilience so correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah build that good team around you before i ask uh, before we move on to something else and i just want to ask you how did education plays a role uh, as a as an entrepreneur do you think that education say for example an mba or something else adds value or gives some kind of an uh, differentiation in in starting a business what what do you perceive uh, will education uh, do in in being an entrepreneur will it make any difference or it's just about the mindset and uh, you know having the passion to to begin with i i think the passion mindset focus is probably more important and and understanding your market understanding what you're doing you know because mm. just just having a good idea mm. uh, isn't enough you need really to understand how to implement it mm. uh, that education actually can help with that. Mm. And there are, of course, a lot of great courses now, nowadays, you know, the MBAs you mentioned, mm. that do set out business. So if you've come from scratch and mm. you want to understand uh, about business, how it works, then, mm. you know, that, 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 that MBA may help. Mm. My education was completely irrelevant. It was, <laughs> you know, microbiology and genetic engineering. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't, never use that. But... My real education has come from, you know, 20, 20 odd years in experience and, and mm. being right at the front end and being mm. in with, you know, from small to big businesses. So I've, mm. been, start, I've been in a number of startups before mm. I had run large businesses, you know, IBM and HB and various others as well. Mm. Um, and I think having that mix has been very useful. Mm. But I, what I would say is, uh, you know, if you're, uh, running a small business, uh, you need to be um, a jack of all trades and, mm. and preferably a master of all trades. <laughs> Now, you know, yeah. that's tough uh, to achieve. It's You've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to mm. get involved um, because no one else is going to be, you know, putting these things together for you. Sure. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's very difficult, I think, if you've always worked in very large organizations to then suddenly start mm. and become... an entrepreneur because you end up you know if you're if you're in a large large organization you're used to this being your job mm. whereas in an, if you're an entrepreneur everything is your job correct um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah great it, it, it can help in certain situations okay so andrew um i want to ask you now on the mergers and acquisitions right so 
you have experience in raising funding and handling mergers and acquisitions, right? Could you shed some light on the fundraising processes and how businesses can prepare themselves for any potential uh, M&A opportunities? I mean, what exactly is a process? Because in my podcast, we don't have many of these conversations on mergers and acquisitions. Would you like to show some or shed some light on how exactly this process works? Sure. Well, I mean, fund, fundraising is is a, literally a permanent role, a permanent job for a CEO of a, of a, of a startup. It's a continuous job, whether you know, maybe not uh, always raising money, but uh, always yeah. talking to investors. And, and I think the most important thing is mm. is understanding, as, as we talked about with customers, it's understanding your vision very, very mm. clearly and then being able to convey that. And if you can convey that in, in a story uh, form, uh, then it's easier for investors and potential investors to get on board with you and, and join your journey. Mm. Uh, I, as far as mergers and acquisitions, specifically f- for, for being a startup, whether you whether you would align yourself early or align yourself later, I, mm. through experience, would now say um, define your market and okay. prove success in your market first. Mm. Uh, now that's not to say don't you know talk to uh, uh, to align businesses. So if you've got a very large enterprise that you feel uh, your startup would be great, uh, you know, a great fit for as part of their solution set, um, mm-hmm. then have the conversation with them. But you, uh, and w- what you can do is mm-hmm. ask them to take your product to market. Okay. Uh, which gives you great market access and good for testing, and then they might align further. Mm. That process, however, is very time-consuming. And bearing in mind your startup will have a very small team, mm. it uh, takes a lot of time, takes okay. a lot of focus, and is distracting. And so having gone through a similar process, mm. I would suggest that you wait until you've proven that value. You've got a great product, right. you've got happy customers, you've delivered good service, um, mm. and you've defined value. You know, you've got some value, clear value in your business. Mm. Then you can go and talk to these, these organizations. Mm. Now, you know, the lucky thing is that because they're so big, because they mm. have so much process, it will take them a very long time if they decide mm. to go and do something similar to you. Mm. Of course, there are going to be manufacturers Correct. that might be on the same path. But, you know, as an example, um, we've added solar charging that I mentioned earlier on Correct. Uh, very recently. We've got the ability you know, in South Africa, we've had organizations come to us and say, look, you know, we've got batteries in place with employees at the moment. Mm. Um, one, they keep on keeling over, but most importantly, the employees are taking them to the beach and, and using <laughs> them you know, like that. We don't want them to do that. Mm. How can we ensure we know where they are? Well, we now can include GPS tracking in our in our units as well, mm. uh, which is a huge advantage. So it means that we can track the units, we can manage them remotely and ensure that they're corporate devices. Mm. And so the ability to chop and change and develop very, very quickly is something that we can do as a small organization. Mm. But I know that you know, it would take yes. many years to go through all the hoops of gates and approvals and things for you know, large corporates. Mm. So keep that flexibility, I would okay. say. Um, until you've defined your market value, and then right. and, and then 
start talking to these businesses. Yeah, exactly. I can imagine the innovations that one can bring to the table being a nimble or a small startup, right? Uh, they, they can they can iterate very easily and come up with new products according to the requirements of, of the customers. But being a very big, uh, you know, such a huge organization, it's always at a disadvantage, right? Like uh, bringing in a new product or innovation takes a lot of time. They have to uh, you know, uh, continue the processes, and they have to adhere to their internal processes and uh, whatnot. So, uh, so it's 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 good to know that as well. But great, great, great um, conversations with you, uh, Andrew. I'm going to uh, go for an interesting section, which is going to be my last section of this podcast as well, which is called as a resilience quick fire. Okay, so it's <laughs> it's going to be like putting you on the spot, but on a fun, uh, you know, ride basically. So I'm going to ask you some certain questions which are related to resilience. Of course, it's the podcast is all about resilience and I'm expecting an instantaneous answer from you. Are you ready right, for it? Okay. No pressure. All right. Okay. <laughs> right. My first resilience quick fire to you. What's your go-to method for staying motivated during tough times? Um, understanding, you know, what I'm trying to achieve. And as I mentioned before, having good people around me. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, sometimes uh, it's good to, good to talk and share, share mm-hmm. tough times uh, and then get some motivation from somewhere else when you don't have it within you. Superb. Okay. One word to describe your leadership style. Um, open, I think, mm. um, and trusting. So I tr- trust my employees to get on with stuff. Uh, mm. I don't want to micromanage them. I, I choose good uh, a good team. Mm. Uh, we've got a great understanding mm. of our uh, our joint vision and our mm. joint journey, um, mm. and I let them you know let them get on with it. Superb. How do you handle failures or setbacks? You had a lot. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's a bumpy <laughs> ride out there. So uh, you've got to just take it, uh, you know, you've got to be flexible. You've got to take mm-hmm. those uh, those bumps and, and learn from them and, mm-hmm. and then apply that learning. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you've got to keep learning all the way through the process. Right. What's your favorite way to recharge and de-stress? Um, I have to say, more, more recently, we we finally got a little bit of summer in the UK, and okay. my happy place is uh, sat in front of a barbecue uh, with yeah. a beer in my hand, um, <laughs> with the kids playing in the garden. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, um, your biggest source of inspiration. Um, I've got some uh, some previous bosses. Um, mm-hmm. Our current chairman, actually, um, who is uh, he's a great guy. He's a great. Uh, mm. he, he's he he made a lot of money um, back in, <laughs> in the two thousands, uh, but he's you know he is a philanthropist. He helps people, mm. um, and I also have another boss who also made a lot of money, um, mm. who uh, again is a very generous person uh, with their time um, and uh, aiming to help society mm. generally. And I think it's. It's that type of work being, you know, having an ethical, good ethical grounding. Mm. Um, we're all, you know, striving to be successful, I suppose. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to squash other people in the process. You can True. help other people and bring other people along with you. Superb. Great, great points. Okay. What's your morning routine for a productive day? 
Um, I get up pretty early, actually. I start okay. pretty early um, mm. and uh, clear all the all the all the rubbish emails that come in overnight. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, with a with a coffee, um, yeah. and I think starting early is important for me. Um, Perfect. I, I tend to get a head start uh, before everyone else and get right. myself set for the day. Okay. Understand my uh, understand my actions for the day. I think that's really really key. Right. My last question to you, Andrew. What's your favorite book or a movie that uh, you know talks about resilience that you like the most? Talks about resilience. Well, that's a real tough one. Um, it can be a book. It can be a movie. It can be a show. Up to you. An um, article. Yeah, I'm going to have to think about that one. That's uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> probably going to end up being somebody like Die Hard or something like that with Bruce Willis. Uh, <laughs> uh never never being uh never being knocked down or, or something like yeah. that so right yeah I mean, there's okay. some there's some great movies out there but um yeah i haven't haven't really sort of aligned the two okay perfect right so andrew it's been a fun having you into the show and also i got to learn a lot of things um it's fascinating for me to always have a chat with an entrepreneur with an entrepreneur with a heart who is actually opening up in giving a lot of information about his products and services how it's impacting uh, the world and the economy and you have a great product here which i think has the potential uh, to change the way that the things are working at least um, you know even not only for you know for a developed world or even for you know people like at a very high level even at the very low level i think there is a lot of interest and a lot of things that you can actually change the way that you know uh, currently uh, that we have uh, in in this world so with that i want to end this show uh, be- but before i do that um, if someone wants to get in touch with you wandro what is the best medium to do it and how can they have these type of conversations or want to know more about rescue how can they reach out to you uh, well they can certainly drop me an email my email address is andrew.lawton l a w t o n @rescue.com or you can just simply go to the website uh, that's www.rescue.com so, okay uh, okay sure i'm going to put those information in my show notes so that people can refer and then have these conversations with you andrew so great. thank you so much for uh, being being in the show it's been a pleasure See you then. Bye bye. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Ramkey. Bye.